Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Good to have you back to Maximize Your Influence. This is Kurt Mortensen, Podcast 292. As we learn to maximize your influence, your income, your charisma, your motivation, your presence, your negotiation, your persuasion. Hey, I'll even add your time. When you're good at persuasion and influence, you're charismatic. People want to be around you. They want to be influenced by you. You don't get the no's. And you don't get the, I'll think about it, or I'll come back later, or send me more information, which we know most of the time are lies. So good to be back. We did a best of last week. I was in the coast of Oregon with my family doing some well-needed vacation time. Notice I called it the coast. I'm from California. We used to call it the beach. But there it's the coast because it doesn't get that warm compared to California. You know, warm enough to sometimes hit the coast. And when you jump in that water, it is pretty cold. But spend a week relaxing, having fun, eating ice cream. That's home of Tillamook Ice Cream, if you're familiar with that. And we spent some time crabbing. And that's a fun one, because crabs aren't the nicest creatures, but tasty, if you like seafood. And enjoyed the sun, the sand, the sand dunes, and the beauty. A lot of green on the Oregon coast, a lot of fun. Had some beach therapy, relaxation therapy, vacation therapy, whatever you want to call it. I am renewed, ready to roll, so let's hit it. Let's start off with the blunder. Don't, don't, don't! And this goes to vistaprint.com. They'll print anything for you, and I've used them in the past. They're great service. They'll print anything from brochures to business cards to whatever you want. And I needed some more business cards. I was going overseas where... People still ask for business cards. There are some places in the world that still want business cards, not so much in other places of the world. So I'm like, I'll get some quick business cards. I've used them before, got on there, and oh, wow, there was way too many options. Do you want this thickness? Do you want this picture? Do you want this template? And they try to simplify it, but I'm like, oh, okay, whatever, and I just went off the page. And I never ordered. I never ordered. I started it to order, but it got so complicated, so many options, so many decisions. Do you want to upgrade? Do you want this? I tuned out. I turned off and did not order. Now, they do provide a great service. They fulfill their promises, but we got to be careful in the world of persuasion and influence that if you provide too many options, the human brain shuts down. A confused mind says no. An overwhelmed mind says no. It happens to me. I've been overseas. I've been training. I come home. The publisher has things for me to do. My wife, my kids, my business. I got a long list of things. And you take a nap. It's too much. We can't handle it. That's just how it is. It was like this financial planner that I was coaching. They sent me a video of this presentation. And they did the initial encounter and did pretty well. And they talked about financial needs and how they wanted to invest. They came back for another secondary interview so they could provide recommendations. And he said, here are the 77 mutual funds that fit your needs. I mean, your brain just explodes. You can't do that. You can't handle it. It's too much. You shut down. You can't do that. Two, maybe three options. 
even a lot of companies have found out that with your 401k, when they have too many options, people just don't do it. But when there's just a couple options, more people will do it. And that's the key. Two to three options. Make sure they're simple. Make sure they all win for you. You don't care which ones they choose. And get them on board. That's something I've always had to work on. Too many options, too many things. I get so excited about persuasion and influence and options and coaching and support. And we can add this and a critique for your presentation. And many times, simpler is more persuasive. Most of the time. Almost every time. Unless they're very educated and they've done their research and they know what you're talking about. Then you can go into more detail. But it's the first time they've heard about what you're talking about, your product or service. You better go simple because, again, a confused mind says no. They'll pretend to understand. They'll say, like I mentioned earlier, I'll come back later. Let me think about it. More information. Yeah, they've already said no because they're confused. So be very careful on that front when you're doing that. A couple of options at the most. I mean, how many perfumes can you really smell before you don't know what you just smelled because you're smeller? It's not that smart. Your brain can't handle that much information. A couple of things. Two is probably the best. Three at the most. So be very careful with that. Providing the options. That is our blunder of the week. Then from there, we're going to go into listener email. Oh, boy. Of course, you can send me your email at Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. And that's the site for everything you need. MaximizeYourInfluence.com to subscribe to the podcast. Take your Persuasion IQ, get the free book, Maximum Influence, and get more information on coaching. It's all right there. Send me an email, and if I read your email on the show, you get access to Influence University, the Advanced Persuasion Mastery Program. This is Sophia from Italy. She says, loving Influence University, and I have already tripled my persuasion tools. I saw you in Bologna, Italy at a success seminar. Sophia, I do remember that. In Bologna, Italy, that was a lot of fun. Even took my wife. That's kind of the cooking capital of Italy. That's also the place where Ferrari is manufactured. I do remember it. A lot of fun. Very energetic audience. It was the first time I saw every time I showed a PowerPoint slide that everyone kind of brought up their iPads and took a picture. <laughs> okay, that trend continues around the world, but that was the first time I saw it. it. kind of took me off base a little bit at first, but I got used to it. So she continues and says, I saw this article and thought of you. Some of these don't feel true, and I would love your thoughts and opinions and advice. Thank you for the podcast and all that you do. Persuading with power, Sophia. So we'll count this as our geeky article. And our content. It looks like this comes from fastcompany.com. How to use 10 psychological theories to persuade people. Our author is Kevin Lee. So we can talk about conversions and persuasion and influence and clicks on the internet and Ways to Understand Persuasion and Influence. He talks about Dave Straker and his list of influence theories. But let's take a look at these and see what we think. And you have to remember, there are a lot of theories. There are a lot of different names for the same theories. And with that said, let's go through this. Number one is amplification hypothesis. This is when you express certainty with a particular attitude, it hardens. And when you express uncertainty, it softens. Well, I'm not sure on that one. I mean, it depends if you're forcing the person, you're actually having the person come up with that attitude. If you can get them to reinforce their attitude to say, yes, I like that, I believe that, I'm going to do that on their own without feeling pressured, sure. But if you help them expose uncertainty on their own, that it might not be perfect, there might be a better way, I would agree with that. It's when you force them to do that or they feel persuaded 
that they will feel backed in the corner and won't do that. I know when you have college students take a certain viewpoint and write a paper on it, they will stick to it more. They will harden, as the article says. This is true. And if you ask enough questions whether you can expose weaknesses to their beliefs, that could also be true. So I'm going to say probably that's probably a good resource. So I'm going to say, yeah, probably that can work depending on how you do it. It has to come from them because if you force them, make them, or say, today I'm going to persuade you or your views are wrong, yeah, you're going to have the opposite effect. Number two, we talked about conversion theory. And by the way, I'll post a link to this at MaximizeYourInfluence.com if you want to take a look at it. So number two, conversion theory, the minority group can have an effect on influencing the majority. So just because the majority of people believe something part of a group doesn't mean the minority can influence them. We see this a lot in politics where the loud voices get heard the most, but it might not be the majority because a lot of people join political groups or other groups just because it was easy or there was no alternatives or their friends said it was important. And then it says when those minority voices are confident and consistent, they're the most effective. And this is true. We see this a lot in business where you have a team project and there's that one vocal voice, very negative. It's not going to work and it kind of sucks the life out of everyone, but it does taint the whole group, even though most of the group, they also call this group think, even most of the group disagrees, they all think everyone else has that same opinion because it's loud and probably pretty good speaker and very persuasive. That can affect the viewpoint of the whole group. So that is true. Again, we see this a lot in politics and in business. Number three, information manipulation theory. This theory involves a persuasive person deliberately breaking one of the four conversational maxims. So there's the quantity, right? The information is complete and full. There's quality. You know, is it truthful and accurate? Relation, is it relevant to the conversation? I'll add, is it something in it for them? And manner, the way it was expressed, easy to understand, it was a good presentation. Why would you want to break those? I mean, you could do a pattern interrupt where you do something different and grab their attention, but I don't think it's talking about that. But when you, you do a presentation, you want to make sure there's the right information, the quantity, the quality, that it's relevant to the conversation and that it's easy to understand. So I'm saying uh, no on that one unless you're using it as an interrupt or maybe you're withholding negative information that's going to taint your message and pull your audience down and get them to think about the wrong things. That could be an issue. Number four is priming. So you can be influenced by stimuli that affect how you perceive short-term thoughts and actions. And the example given was a stage magician saying, tricycle, hoping the person's going to think of tricycle later, the bike. So tricycle, T-R-Y, versus tricycle, the bike. I mean, that does work, but I think that's called an embedded command from NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming fame, where you just kind of Embed little commands, like you'll see on infomercials, by now you realize. And the embedded commands, B-U-Y, by now. Or have a Pepsi day, the embedded commands, have a Pepsi. Or what I saw the other day was, you like me, <laughs> you like me. Those are embedded commands, and they do work in advertising and marketing. Priming is more setting the stage or priming people to purchase or to prepare them for the price or to get them in the right mode. In fact, one study I mentioned on a previous podcast with priming was people are doing these word puzzles. Right? And they're either putting these words together. And, and half of them got very rude words like obnoxious and mean and interrupt. And the other half got polite words, nice and patience, you know, those type of words. And they were just focusing on those words. And then when they were done, they had to go talk to the proctor. That's the person doing the study. 
and that proctor was talking to someone, and they were going to keep talking until they got interrupted, and they wanted to see how fast he got interrupted, and there was a huge difference between the rude words, who interrupted much faster, versus the polite words. So that typically tends to be more about priming. Number five, reciprocity norm. Basically, social norm, reciprocity involves our obligation to return the favor. That's absolutely correct. That's the law of obligation. I talk about it, maximum influence. If you want to go back to the archives at MaximizeYourInfluence.com, that's podcast 24. That is a specific law of persuasion. Basically, if you give someone your time or a gift or a smile or tell them a secret or give them a compliment, human nature, and this is all over the world. I mean, you could go to the rainforest, to a tribe that hasn't seen human contact very much. It's around the world. It's built into our psyche. We have to return that favor, that compliment, that gift. And we can use this strategically in persuasion. This can have a high lactose cheesy factor to where, hey, remember the last time I did this where they bring in the gift right before they need something from you? And you're like, okay, whatever. But it's true. I mean, people buy holiday gifts just in case because, uh, or the college professor that addressed Christmas cards to people he didn't even know, and he's still 20 years later getting Christmas cards, okay, because there's a reciprocity thing there. It's real. You can use it strategically. Like at Costco, the free samples, that is reciprocity. It doesn't guarantee you're going to buy it, but it puts them top of the list. You pretend to listen, you're at least going to see if it's good. I tell this to real estate agents, create a CD, 10 mistakes to avoid when buying a house, or... Or sending a thank you with a box of cookies. Little things you can do. doesn't guarantee persuasion, but it does put you on top of the list. So this one works very well when it's done in the right place. Also, that's true for number six, scarcity principle. When things are in short supply, man, you are going to regret it if you don't get it. That's how we're built. eBay, if someone outbids you, you want it more. You put toddlers in a room with 20 toys and say, don't play with that one, they'll approach it three times faster. You tell your teenagers not to date somebody, they will want to date them more. You tell high school students, I know adult content, don't read it, they want to read it more. Black Friday sales, that's the after-holiday sales in the United States for my international listeners. It's real when it's done right. Because the way the brain's programmed, losing $100 psychologically has more impact than gaining $100. It's just how we're programmed, missing out, not getting it. Sale ends today. Again, high cheese factor, high cheese factor there, but definitely something that you can use. When it's believable and it's real and you've explained why, then it becomes very powerful. That also includes deadlines. Deadlines is a form of scarcity that you can use in a powerful way. But a key factor there has to be believable. I remember I was buying a car, getting everything set up. Like, I like it. I'll take it. I'll come back tomorrow with the money. We'll finish the paperwork. I had to go. I had a meeting. He's like, someone's coming at 7 p.m. to look at this exact car. I'm like, uh, persuader, duh. I have, okay, I'll come back tomorrow. And I came back, and it was gone, right? So sometimes we've been burned. But he wasn't believable, even though it was the truth. So be careful how you use it. But when you use it, it works very, very well. Next one, number seven, the sleeper effect. Meaning persuasive messages tend to decrease in persuasiveness over time. Except messages from low credibility sources. Messages that start out with low persuasion, gain persuasion as our mind, slowly disassociate the source from material. The example they use is a sleazy car salesman and the advice on what car is best. So I absolutely 100% agree that your persuasive messages erodes over time. What you say, you want to reinforce it, you want to make sure that it stays in their mind because it can tend to erode away. Interesting one, though, is that sometimes when we hear things from the Internet or friends or that sleazy car salesman, as they say, 
Sometimes we're not sure where we heard it, but we heard it. And when we disassociate where we heard it with that sleazy salesman or the National Enquirer or wherever you heard it, it becomes truth in our mind. So that is true. That is something to think about that can help or hurt your ability to persuade. Number eight, social influence. We are influenced strongly by others based on how we perceive our relationship to the influencer. That would be social proof or social validation, as I call it. Testimonials, recommendations, referrals, those type of things. Very powerful. 95% of us just follow the social norm. If it looks good on Yelp or Rotten Tomatoes or a friend recommends it, it's pretty good. You go into a restaurant and you're the only one there. You've never been there before. It doesn't feel quite right. It's just an easy shortcut. It's not 100%. I remember going to a Broadway show, won all the awards, and it was terrible. I didn't like it, and everyone there didn't like it. But it won all the awards. That was validation. So we know it's not 100%, but it works most of the time. And you have to be careful as a persuader on this one is that you feel credible. You feel trustworthy. You feel like you have the best product or service. You feel like your word is good. And, and that's true to a certain point, but I hate to burst your bubble, but people always believe somebody else before they believe you. <laughs> it's just reality. If it hurts your feelings, fine, but I'm just here to tell you the truth. You've got to borrow credibility, endorsement, recommendation, testimonial, whatever it is. You walk into a bookstore, you see bestsellers. That's social validation. I know for me, when I was a first-time author, I was coming out with a maximum influence, the 12 Laws of Persuasion, just finishing it up and I was at a bookstore just looking at people, and I'd notice they would pull out a book, and they'd look at the front cover, the title. They wouldn't even open it up, and they'd look at the back cover. I finally figured out they were looking at the testimonials. Like, man, whew. So I went after testimonials, and I got Stephen Covey of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and Brian Tracy of Focal Point Advanced Selling. Robert Allen of Nothing Down and Multiple Streams of Income. Mark Victor Hansen of Chicken Soup for the Soul. Got their testimonials, their endorsements, put it on the back of the book, and that made the biggest difference for me. Because as a first-time author, there's not a lot of credibility there. But now I'm borrowing it on the back cover, and you could do the same thing. So social influence, absolutely. Careful, they will always believe other people before they believe you. In fact, there was a university study at Stanford where they looked at downloads on the internet, you know, downloading software and apps, those type of things. And so it was like a top 20 list. So they took number 20, the last one, artificially inflated to stay at number one. And it stayed at number one because if it's number one, it must be good. In fact, infomercials that fail, I mean, infomercials have a 90% failure rate. They just add more testimonials, right? Someone that doesn't look that sharp that says, I made $20,000 in four hours or whatever it is. They're like, man, if he could do it, I could do it. And they got to be believable, obviously, but that's the trend that we've been seeing. Number nine, the Yale attitude change approach. So Yale found a number of factors in persuasive speech that are very important. Being credible, so your credibility, your history, your background, or borrowing credibility. Being attractive, we talked about that with a lot of connectivity, that people judge you. It's called the halo effect, where the better looking you are, people think you're smarter, more interesting, more intelligent than you actually are. That's why in the judicial system, the uglier convicts get longer prison sentences than the better looking ones. Better looking college students get better grades than the not so attractive ones. I know it's not fair, but there's something there that's important to understand. So I'll add the word here, primacy and recency effect. Do you go first, do you go last? Well, there's a lot of science behind that. Either go first or last if you can, because they will remember you more. And final one, ultimate terms, meaning certain words carry more power than others. 
And that's absolutely true. I call it verbal packaging. Every word attracts or repel your prospect. They talk about God terms that carry blessings or demand, things like progress and value. Then there's those devil terms that evoke disgust, like fascist or pedophile, or lad, Nazi. Charismatic terms, they call it, are more intangible or less observable. And you see this in politics. Freedom, contribution, change, whatever the word is, the buzzword of the day, they're so vague, but everyone kind of fills in the blanks. So freedom means something different to everyone else. But when you say it, it triggers those feelings of freedom, even though it means something different for everybody. So I agree 100%, absolutely, words will attract repel. Mark Twain, the American author, said it best. The difference between the right word and the wrong word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. Even with food, Kentucky Fried Chicken changed their name to KFC. Why? Because of the word fried. Well, some claim it's because it's not really chicken, but who knows on that one? The word fried. You don't call a steak fatty. It's marbled. And the Pentagonian toothfish did not sell well because of the name. Who orders a toothfish? Even if you're told it's good, I want a toothfish, no, You've probably eaten it because they've changed the name to Chilean sea bass. It is real. So that's my overview there. Sophia, thanks for your email. You get access to Influence University. I'll get that out to you. But think about some of the techniques we talked about and ones that you can implement, especially social validation or scarcity. Those are top of the list on the 12 laws of persuasion. So those absolutely increase your ability to persuade and influence. So appreciate your time. Like the podcast, give us your comments and opinions. You can find us at YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Get to love your feedback, your jokes, your comments, your rude remarks, whatever you had. Send them to me at Kurt at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Thanks for being here. Do appreciate it. Hey, pick one of the tools I talked about today and start to master it. Use it this week, and you're going to notice your ability to become a better influencer and your ability to persuade with power. 